thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome to another episode of The Real Food Reel. Today on the show we have Katie King from The Balanced Nutritionist. Katie has an advanced diploma in nutritional medicine and is an ultra runner who has combined her career and passion by assisting a group of 25 runners across Australia and New Zealand in the lead up to February's Tarawira Ultra. This group quickly evolved into a self-directed study with two elite athletes joining Katie's team which quickly became known as the Tarawera Jerf Study. I'm excited to have Katie join me on the reel today to find out more about this study and to share the successes of her athletes who took a real food and unconventional sports nutrition approach. Hi Katie and thanks for joining me on the reel. Thanks for having me Steph. It's great to have you here and before we dive in, can you share a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a nutritionist? Yep, sure. Okay, so um, basically I've had um, an interest in fitness and health for quite a long time and I, um, I've i been working in the fitness industry as um, a group exercise instructor for quite a while and then about four or five years ago um, I moved into a position in marketing for a natural medicine company. I think that's when I sort of joined the dots because I'd always had an interest in wellness but I didn't really know how to go about um, making that a career and I suppose when I left high school which was 12 years ago um, you know becoming a nutritionist or a naturopath or something like that it wasn't something you really heard about when you were um, at school or considering um, a pathway through to university so that's how I really you know landed on on the idea of studying nutrition and I've sort of been um, brought up in a family where food was sort of always really important so I started my study about uh, three and a half, four years ago and I was studying part-time while I was working and I suppose what led me to specifically this kind of work because um, it's, not, it's not something we really went into a lot in, in my formal study, that's for sure, around sort of um, lower carbohydrate, high fat and that kind of thing, is just because... Um, I've always had, you know, lots of um, issues as a female, to be honest, managing my own weight. And I've always been really, um, really very active, but that's something that I have um, always had to watch closely. And about two years ago, I um, somebody put me onto the whole idea around um, lower carbohydrate, high fat. Um, that was more for a body comp, um, body from a body composition point of view, but at the time I was starting to get into um, longer distance sport, and it just really joined the dots for me, and it really clicked. So I've done more and more research in this area. My dad's also a diabetic, so it's obviously something that um, insulin resistance and that kind of thing is is clearly a, something that um, is I guess close to me, and. Um, I guess that's what sort of brought me to this point today. 
Yeah, excellent. I love that you have dived into LCHF, even though perhaps the university curriculum hasn't quite caught up there. <laughs> yeah, and um, it was actually quite good because it was it was never problematic when I was going through my study. Um, I never got penalised or anything like that for some of my views, um, but definitely would have been great to have more of that aspect um, in the formal education side of it. Yeah, I totally agree. So tell us what your real food message is, Katie. Um, <clears throat> I guess I call myself the balanced nutritionist for a reason. Um, I, I love food. I think it's fantastic. Um, but I also think it should make you feel fantastic after you eat it. I think um, we're all individuals and and that might, you know, it's sort of something that's, it's, it's being lost a little bit. I think people are looking for perhaps one particular way to eat rather than realizing that it really does depend on your own body. Um, I think real food is always best because then you know exactly what you're eating and not all of the extra stuff that you're getting. Um, but definitely, I think people really need to get in touch with what works for them um, and stick with that and acknowledge that rather than um, eating a certain way because, you know, it, it's trendy and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, there's certainly not a one-size-fits-all and, and we do like to reiterate that a lot on the reel. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, no worries. Cool. So I'm really excited to hear about the study that you've been involved in. But for the listeners that don't know, the Tarawera Ultra Marathon is one of New Zealand's most prestigious ultras and it's part of the 11 race ultra trail world tour. Runners can enter 185 or 60 Ks and there's also a relay option. So Katie, can you share with us how your Tarawera Jerf study began, how it evolved and certainly uh, what happened in the lead up to the ultra this year? Yeah, of course, definitely. So basically how it started, Steph, is um, it actually started about three months before the race and I happened to come across a post in the Tarawera Ultramarathon group by Paul Charteris, who's the race director, absolutely amazing race director, so um, heads off to him, sorry, hats off to him. Um, and he was, he was saying that he'd been following a paleo lifestyle and you know, he wasn't um, trying to put, you know, necessarily say that was the only way to go, but he he was saying, listen, I have got fantastic results from this way of eating and I really think that um, eliminating, you know, some of the, the, the junk that's out there and just sticking with real food is the way to go. Now, Paul was really lovely. I sent him a, a private message straight away and said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, um, I'm interested in running a bit of a, a I guess a bit of a study, I suppose, with some um, some of the athletes around this kind of concept. Do you mind if I pop up a post in the group? So he was absolutely fine with that, and um, I stuck up a Facebook message there and said, "Listen, you know, I'm a nutritionist. Um, I'm really looking into this sports nutrition side of things and real food fueling, as well as lower carbohydrate, um, high fat fueling for athletes. Can you just send me a private message if you're interested?" And I got 30 people pretty quickly um, and basically that's where it started so it was just bam straight in um, some of them were in New Zealand most of them were in New Zealand because the race is in New Zealand I think there were a couple of people in Europe from that group now what I did was I just created a closed Facebook group which I called the Tarawira Ultra Jerf Study 
Now, I was really clear around the terminology that I used. I called it Jerf because my real passion was obviously real food fueling and I feel as though low carb, high fat does attract a certain connotation and I didn't want people to come in with the idea of, oh, I know what this is all about, I'm not interested, if that makes sense. Yeah, it certainly does. I think labels can be a little bit destructive because everyone's perception is so different. Absolutely. So um, from that 30, admittedly, some of them sort of dwindled off. I think I ended up with 22 who were fairly dedicated. Um, I collected some initial questionnaires and then basically we dived in from there. So. Yeah, great. So what would you say were the key lead-up strategies in terms of, say, let's start with day-to-day nutrition? Okay, so um, when I got all of the, you know, the, the questionnaires and the data back, what I realized was that, okay, how am I going to look after um, 21 people when I'm in the middle of some, I was in the middle of working and studying at the same time. So I, um, I actually divided them. It was really easy to kind of pop them into three different categories for my own data. What I found is that there were a few people who were, um, experimenting with um, ketosis and they were already basically following a ketogenic diet. So for, for various reasons, they, they had already adopted that style of eating. Ironically, just a few days before, I'd, I'd literally timed my Facebook post perfectly. Then I had a group of people that were eating fairly well, but um, you know, they were I'd say they were almost on a a really good real food plan, um, but they just sort of needed to tidy up a few things. They were a little bit confused about, most of them, to be honest, just, they weren't eating a lot. That's what I found with with a lot of the women. I think they were scared to sort of up their, their fats enough, and so they were feeling a little bit kind of tired and run down as a result of that. And then the third group, which was sort of the ones that really needed a lot of work, were literally following, you know, what I'd call a standard Australian diet. So, you know, toast for breakfast, cereal, that kind of thing, sandwiches, sushi for lunch, you know, the odd piece of banana cake, um, pasta for dinner. So obviously they needed the most work. So I just made sure that, look, with the, the ketogenic group, those guys, they just kept doing what they were doing. They were really happy with what was happening for them. And I can, you know, I'll go into those results shortly. Um, the ones that needed the most work were definitely that group were just that were just transitioning from a sad diet to a jerf style of eating. Now, I just focused on um, introducing like real food options. Um, I shared a lot of recipes. I shared a lot of food ideas, things that were very, very quick to do. So getting them into the habit of just eating like a breakfast that had protein and fats in it as well. Um, A lot of them were sort of using omelets with vegetables and that kind of thing instead of their cereal. You know, I I was really trying to make food prep easy for them because it's a big transition, if, if that makes sense. So that was sort of my priority in the beginning. Let's just get it nice and simple, real food in there, lots of vegetables, um, you know, obviously your protein from your eggs with eggs and your, your meats and that kind of thing and, and cut really cut back on the sugars and the um, the refined grains as well. Yeah, beautiful. Yep, that was definitely the lead up. Yeah, great. And did these athletes come to you for 
a number of reasons. Like, were there people that were looking for, it sounds like that first group were certainly perhaps just looking for some clarity, some assistance with their fueling. But what were some of the other reasons that people approached you, do you think? There were a few people. There were about, I would say there were three women on on the actual study who felt uncomfortable with their bodies. Like, sorry, I don't mean that in that they were self-conscious, but they were like, oh, you know, I've been working really, really hard, but I just can't seem to drop this weight. And that's obviously something that does make um, endurance sport a little bit easier, just dropping a couple of kilos. And if you're training a lot, you'd think that that would sort of come off. So definitely that was one of the results that people got. So all three of those women um, definitely improved their body composition. One dropped, I think it was six centimeters off her waist within about, it was like six weeks. So that's a pretty good result. And then some of them were having digest, like gastrointestinal issues. So going out into an event and, and, and literally wondering, oh, is my nutrition going to work today? Am I going to be okay? And that's not really a nice way to start an event. You want to sort of think about, your, you know, getting out there, having a great day, you know, how you're going to get through in your mind when you're feeling really tired. You don't want to be wondering about, oh, am I going to keel over with stomach cramps, you know, five hours in and then I can't get any food down, then I'm going to be throwing up and all this kind of thing. So there was definitely that aspect of it, of it as well. Yeah, I love that they came to you for assistance there because it's not normal to have such gastrointestinal distress and certainly refined sugars and for a lot of people it's the traditional sports nutrition that creates that type of environment and it is, it's it's stressful and it certainly can be resolved with real food and natural fueling. Absolutely and I was having that um, a very similar conversation with a, a good friend um, who was she wasn't involved in the study admittedly but an, a very very good runner very well you know very good ultra runner um, she'd recently tried to change her you know had some advice and and actually change from being quite a real food athlete to the other way so had sort of been suggested to her by a professional that maybe maybe you could try you know using some more supplements and using some more sports drinks and that kind of thing and and using more gels and it was an absolute disaster so it, it does happen and 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 that just without even you know she could see that that her old old approach which seems so simple um was a lot better yeah i'm not sure who was giving her that advice but we won't go there yeah, yeah. Cool. So what other strategies have you got to share with us that you found really successful for your athletes? Okay, so one of the things that I thought was really interesting was my couple of um, guys who experimented with the ketogenic um, style of fueling with ketosis. Now, because of the limitations of the environment, i.e., most of these people I never met face-to-face, -face, okay? So it was all done by email. It was a closed Facebook setting. So I had to be obviously, you know, mindful of that. Um, but these guys were already, you know, they'd already adopted this style of eating. They were gung-ho that they were going to try it. 
And um, this particular subject, I'm just going to call him, um, let's just call him Gareth because I, I, I told everyone I'd respect their privacy. Um, so Gareth originally started on the ketogenic diet because his partner wanted to needed to lose some weight. She wasn't a runner um, and I believe that was successful. And basically he said, all right, I'm, you know, let's just save some time here. Um, I'll have a quick look. Yeah, it seems that I can keep keep my running going and, and, and still be an ultra runner and, and eat this way as well just to save, you know, obviously save some time um, in terms of meal prep. Um, now, within, I thought this was quite phenomenal because within, I think it was three, yes, it was three weeks. I've got the data in front of me. So the first four days, he went out and he attempted to do a 21-kilometer run. So he was obviously doing what it was a long, um, a long run day for him. And he, he struggled. He got to 16Ks and, you know, he, you know, threw it in. You know, this is too hard at the moment. And, you know, Steph, that's obviously something that we do see when people transition into that style of eating, that in the, the initial, you know, stages, it, it is much harder and there is an adaptation period. But within three weeks, he was out running um, a 60-kilometer trail event and quite a hard one at that. So he had, in the morning, he said that he had eggs and he had a coffee with cream. During the, during the event, he ate a couple of, it looks like, home, um, like a couple of homemade bars, lots of nuts and that kind of thing in it as well, maybe a dozen almonds, and he drank around six liters of water with four, he ended up having four um, salt tablets as well. So I thought that was a really good result. Like he, it took him eight hours and five minutes. Um, it was a very hilly course. His pace was consistent all the way through. He was able to basically use, you know, whole food. And this is somebody who sort of three weeks before was essentially, you know, quite quite reliant on um, on gels and that kind of thing and there was absolutely no gastrointestinal issues at all. So at the end of Tarawira, in fact, he was just stoked because he got through the whole event and not once did he have to go, oh my goodness, you know, my stomach could turn at any moment. So that was, that was really awesome. Um, I think with that kind of diet, like I said, he was, um, he was, he transitioned to a ketogenic diet. I mean, I can go into that specifically what he what he was eating because I've got it in front of me. But we often are questioned about performance on that that sort of diet, and I think for him, obviously, that just worked absolutely sensationally. Yeah, I think that's really exciting for him, and can't wait to hear more about his progression because three weeks is only a relatively short period of time. So. For most athletes, it, it wouldn't be something I'd necessarily recommend to dial in that close to a race. Yeah. But was Gareth, what, was he quite a sugar burner, do you say? Or was he halfway there in terms of being more metabolically efficient and, and more real food based? He was, he, was a, he was pretty much a sugar burner. Mm. Um, yeah, not, not going to mince that one. Um, <laughs> look... <laughs> Steph, it was actually as much of a shock to me as it is to you right now because when he um, he came on, he told me what he was eating. So I'll, he was eating, um, say, a couple a cup of black coffee, a couple of rations of bacon in the morning, a couple of eggs, 
And then for lunch, he was just sticking with meat and salad, dinner, meat and vegetables. Um, he was using pork crackling for a snack. Um, he was adding cream to his coffee. And when he sent me that diet, this was right back at the start. I thought, okay, um, this guy's, you know, he, he's got a ketogenic plan worked out for him. That's working for him. Um, you know, he was adamant this, that this is what he wanted to do. But I didn't realize that he'd only just started that literally two days before. So um, when he touched base with me and we had a chat and he said to me, oh, yeah, I did my 60-kilometer. Th this event that I just went through was just a training um, event for him. I was, I was shocked. I, I emailed him back and we were emailing back and forth and I was going, so you mean you've only been eating this way for three weeks? And before that, you were literally, he was literally like a cereal toast kind of typical sugar burner diet. So, yeah, I, I must admit, I, I agree I wouldn't. Um, uh, yeah, that's a very unusual result and very quick, but, um, you know, fantastic that it did work that way for him. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful news. But I wouldn't advise anyone else to try that at home. <laughs> Just to clarify. Yes. Great. And what about uh, some other athletes? You mentioned there were some women that had some great body compositional changes. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else to report there or perhaps some improved gut symptoms or for anyone else that perhaps took part in the actual event? Energy levels were a big thing. Um, so much more stable energy levels. Um, we had one, um, a lady called um, Shannon Lee. She's actually a um, semi-elite professional ultra runner in New Zealand. Um, you probably, um, she she does have a blog, Steph, and she's, she talks quite a lot about her nutrition. Um, she had cut out all sugar and she got fantastic results even just doing that. And the biggest thing that she said was energy was just so different, not having to, you know, feel like she was hitting the wall every day or, or up and down um, with her um, concentration and that kind of thing. That was a big thing. And um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought then. That's okay. I was just going to touch on the energy side of things because obviously with ultras and particularly some of these more trail-focused runs where the duration is, you know, seven hours or beyond, Yes. what we really notice is that consistent or is those consistent splits. So the situation of bonking usually occurs when we look at, say, four or more hours and it's particularly a situation which hasn't been practiced in training. And so... The big benefit of using real food and certainly cutting the refined sugars is that you aren't putting in a simple fuel which then you know runs out and sets you up to be just dropping the pace split by split as the day goes on. So was there a lot of the reverse, so consistent splits and obviously strong finishes? Yeah, look, in ultra running, to be honest, because the terrain can be so different, um, it's difficult to look at someone's splits and say, oh, you know, that's really, they're not going to get, you know, consistent five and a half minute Ks and whatnot just mm -hmm. because of the terrain. But you can monitor that yourself, absolutely. And that was the report that there wasn't that bonking feeling, there wasn't that exhaustion, there wasn't that, oh my gosh, you know, I'm hanging out for the next aid station because I need to down a gel or I need to, you know, get something into me. Um, you know, definitely that was um, a big benefit. Um I would also add a, quite a few – there was about four or five that were specifically happy with the way that they were recovering. Mm. So they found that they were able to recover faster and 
go into their next training session, this is more in the lead up, um, looking forward to it and with a goal to improve each time, if that makes sense, rather than just going, I've got to back up for another training session, I'm just going to go out and get it done. Um, one, one of the women uh, did say that that actually changed changed her she was at a point where she was starting to not enjoy the sport for that reason um just you know doing the grind and getting there and getting in there and doing the training but definitely um because she was recovering better and that sort of thing she was able to go in and really enjoy every single session she really just learned to love running again so that was really cool yeah that's excellent that's one of the big points that i like to clarify with my athletes because you know the refined sugar is basically causing you to be really inflammatory if we keep it quite simple that's yep. not going to help the recovery process and it's certainly going to make those training sessions that follow a completely different scenario to if your body's quite anti-inflammatory and you can bounce back and you know the more training you can do to a degree the the better you're going to set yourself up for race day and and certainly it really does help the longevity of the athlete from things oh, like absolutely. yeah, yeah. From, from injury prevention to certainly preventing chronic conditions like diabetes. I think longevity is, is really, really one of the biggest things because, I mean, we all want to perform well, but at the end of the day, most so many people take up a sport like running or triathlon or cycling now these days because they've got, you know, diabetes or metabolic syndrome or they have to lose weight or something like that. And can the conventional way of fueling it's just going to add fuel to the fire and I think that's quite frightening and from a long like I know that I'm I guess I'm young and but I still go out every day and go you know the bigger picture is I do this because I want to be well my entire life essentially and you know that's pretty difficult when you when you're chugging back conventional carbohydrates which you know 90 grams of carbs an hour or whatever the recommendation is <laughs> right out of my mouth <laughs> Yeah, um, definitely. And I would, I will also add that the, the lady who, who who dropped the the centimeters from from her waist, and, and I think she dropped three kilos during this stage. That was actually with a reduction in training. So yeah, she was she actually reduced her the amount that she was training, made her training sessions more effective, and increased her calories. When I looked at her diet originally. Not that I'm a big calorie counter, but sometimes it, it works well when you can sit across from someone and say, because they, they might think in calories and you go, listen, you're only eating 1,200 calories a day and you're doing all of this training. So um, that was basically what she was taking in. So, you know, with the new plan, she was eating a lot more fat and that kind of thing. So obviously her calories went up, her training went down and so did her waistline, which was a great result. Yeah, she would have been wrapped with that. Yeah, Absolutely. So it's all such wonderful news and I absolutely love that you know many more athletes are now ready to go against the norm and they're experiencing such significant health and performance benefits as a result. Yes, it's great. It's really good news. Yeah. Now, there was a little... You mentioned just briefly about some salt tablets that I think it was Gareth was taking as part of his plan. Let's just touch on the topic of electrolytes and if you could share anything there that you did with your group and perhaps what what the on-course approach was as well. Yeah, look, Steph, um, what I did, I was really encouraging, obviously, that they steered away from conventional, traditional sports drinks because of all of the added sugar in there. It's virtually, 
impossible to fat adapt and fuel on fat during an event if you if you're going to be relying on um, your electrolytes from a essentially sugar water. Um, the Tarawira event, and again, I think this this is just a shout out to Paul Charteris because of his own experience with real food fueling. The, the aid stations were really well equipped, um, and they had salt tablets as well as some form of sugary electrolyte drink. So that was great. Um, most of my athletes, um, most of them stuck with the salt tablets, um, which was obviously, you know, they still got their electrolytes in, thumbs up to that, but they weren't, you know, ingesting, I don't know, 35, 40 grams of straight sugar with it. And that's really, that was really what I wanted. Um, I also had, I really like your Freedom Fuel recipe. Like I use that when I'm out on the trails for, you know, longer than three and a half hours. And, and I find that really good. It's quite palatable, easy to prepare. So some of them were using that during their training as well. And we had another, um, one of the participants actually went out and, and seeked his own savoury sports gel, which worked really well for him. Um, it was, uh, um, it sounds a bit weird actually, but it was mashed potato um, stock. Um, so he actually used like a stock cube, I think. And, um, yeah, mash that together. It's it sort of put it in a Ziploc bag and then the next day he'd, he'd take that out and, and that was good for him because he wasn't, you know, much of a fan of the sweet stuff. So I think the important thing was um, for people to realise that there is an option for electrolytes and it doesn't have to come in a blue bottle, like, you know, a coloured sugary water bottle. Yeah, and it's obviously extremely personalised and something I know you and I both recommend that athletes start at the base training point in time, so to practice what their fueling strategy is going to look like on race day. Yeah, and really just like tuning in and listening to their, their own bodies, like, yeah, that was that was really important. That was basically, you know, comes that's the foundation of all nutrition, I think. Yeah, <clears throat> Awesome. So we can't wait for the finished study. And before we just close off on, on that part of the segment, can you let us know anything else you want to share and where it's at currently? Um, well, at the end, the, um, the actual event like Tarawira has actually happened. That happened back in February. Um, so that essentially culminated the end of um, you know, my time with most of them. Um, I'm working with a couple of them a little bit more closely now, which is, is really good. Um, yeah, so look, as far as that actual study goes, I'm just putting all the data together and everything like that now. Yeah, great. Do you think you'll evolve it a little bit further in years to come? Look, I, it was, it was as much, it was very much I have to take my hats off to the, the guys and girls who, um, who, who sort of came on board with it because I was originally planning on working with like three to five people just to really fine-tune my own, I guess, program in terms of sports nutrition. So I thought, well, you know, this isn't something that obviously we go into a whole lot of detail um, in, in our formal studies. So I really wanted to learn from experience. But instead of getting three to five, I ended up with, you know, quite a lot more than that. Um, so they really did 
I think it goes to show that athletes are so self-motivated. Um, you know, you give them some some good guidance and whatnot, and they'll go out and they will really put that into practice. So hats off to them um, for being able to, to get the kind of results that they did without, it certainly wasn't one-on-one support, but I did give as much as I could at that particular time. Yeah, they're usually pretty compliant and ready to go. That's why we love working with them. <laughs> I was stoked, like really stoked because I hadn't sort of, um, that was really, you know, my my... Yeah, I, I think it was fantastic in that way. Yeah, great. Now, before we finish up today, Katie, we move into our last segment. It's just a quick one so we get to know a little bit more about you and they're the questions that we ask all the guests on our show. And so can you share with us what a day on your plate looks like? Okay. Um, the easiest way to do that is just to roll with what I ate today or yes. what I'm eating today. Um, so I trained this morning, um, I had a cycle class and I just did some weights. I don't train, I train fasted always, so I don't eat before I train. Um, I had a coffee, I came home and I had a couple of, I think I had three scrambled eggs on, actually Steph, I had it on that, um, veggie bread of yours cause I make that quite often. I really enjoy that. Um, so I had a, a slice of that, a few scrambled eggs, um, some sliced tomato. For lunch, I had some leftover roast chicken and I'm working from home today, so I just steamed up some veggies, steamed up some sweet potato with it. Um, not uh, Probably this afternoon, if I want anything before dinner, it's probably just going to be some natural yogurt and a big heap of berries or something like that, maybe some... Um, cacao nibs that's like my latest fetish and then for dinner tonight salmon salmon and veggies so that's I guess that's a pretty standard day I I will say um that yeah I think my I try to change up my nutrition and just I just buy local I always buy from the local farmers markets and um somebody a very experienced person in the industry was at a seminar the other week he said this fantastically I think he said you you know, your nutrition needs change all the time. So he said, when somebody asks him what to eat, he says, well, what you eat now should be different to what you eat in six weeks' time. And in reality, I think that's really important, you know, um, eating local, eating seasonally, and making sure that you get a variety of food in. But essentially, I do stick on the, obviously, I stick on more of a low-carb, lots of good fats kind of approach. Beautiful. Nice and simple, which is just the way we like it. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be hard. And what's next for the balanced nutritionist? Um, look, I'm just setting up. Um, so I've I've sort of just literally um, got my my practice up and running and whatnot. I'm working out of an existing clinic with um, a couple of other naturopaths um, and other health professionals. So um, that's over at Carindale in Brisbane, um, and I am loving doing lots of research and attending lots of seminars around um, lower carbohydrate, high fat, not only for athletic um, longevity but also for um, diabetes and, and related disorders. So obviously um, that's a an area that's fairly close to me um, and I think there's so much that we can do around diet and educating people on how to eat well um, to sort of, I guess, increase people's quality of life but also um you know lessen lessen the burden that we're now seeing so many people are you know there's it's it's a bit of an epidemic at the moment it's something we, we can definitely do something about 
yeah, it's one of my favourite things of late that LCHF is being used to help those with some metabolic dysfunction. Absolutely. Yeah. And just so amazing how quickly people can get results and, and really how simple it is. Yeah. Love it. And thanks for sharing your message. Before we sign off, Katie, where can our listeners find you? Um, yep. So I've got a Facebook page, just the balanced nutritionist. And I'm also just started on Instagram. Um, and I've got a website at the moment, which I believe is just a landing page, but um, we're in website development stage at the moment. So that's probably the best way to con- um, to connect with me. Awesome. We'll put all those links in the show notes. And thanks so much for being a part of The Real. I love your story and certainly the study shows where we're at and how far we can still really make changes in, in real food fueling. Thanks, Steph. Um, I would actually just add that I do have a... Um, seminar coming up in Brisbane in April um, specifically for endurance athletes so I'll pop all of that onto the Facebook page as well. Awesome we'll definitely share that with our team. Thank you. Thanks Katie. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.